Why do people like the Baratheons? I mean, I will seriously probably never understand this. I mean, they show up to every single fight, they lose, and then they repeat that process. And that's the basis of why people seem to like them. Not even to talk about Stannis Baratheon, the uh, apparent fan favorite of the book series, to which I will never understand why. <sighs> okay, well, I'm sure quite a number of people just rage quit out of this conversation there. But you know what, that's fine. So this is going to be a long one, guys. We are going to settle in for a deep dive tactics talk about the Baratheons. This is going to be limited to just the starter box, as, you know, that's what we have released so far. So we'll be going over the generic tactics, the uh, two commanders, Rinley and Stannis, that we have, and the three units that we've released so far. Before we get into that, as my proprietary contract of General Mills is still in effect, I have to give a couple shout-outs to some of their products here. So let's go ahead and get this out of the way before we talk about the other part of the podcast that I just don't care for. So, uh, this week we are sponsoring Wheaties brand Dunkaballs Cereal, the Breakfast of Champions for Kids. You seriously could not have chosen a worse name for that cereal. Okay, anyway, that's shouted out there. And then we will have another shout out for General Mills brand Hidden Treasures cereal, which has also been discontinued. Oh, that one actually makes me sad. I used to like that one. Anyway, that's Hidden Treasures. Uh, there we go. That's done with. Hopefully I'll be able to get out of the contract sooner or later and don't have to keep doing that segment. Okay. So, first thing we are going to talk about today is we're going to start with the uh, generic Baratheon tactics cards, because that's really going to be the linchpin of a lot of what you need to understand when we're getting to the Baratheons. The Baratheon units are very tanky on their own, but they don't have a lot of flash about them. Uh, most of their offensive potential from the faction is going to come via their tactics cards, and that's not just going to be simply the commander that you're choosing, that's also going to be from their generic tactics deck. It looks very, very strong on paper. That's because it is, and it has a lot of uh, offensive capabilities. But there's some also weaknesses that you're going to find out when you're playing, and they shouldn't be a surprise to you. And that's why we're going to talk about them here. And it's namely going to come up with the fact of a lot of simultaneous triggers. You have a lot of cool stuff, but you're going to have to choose exactly what the best situation for using that cool stuff is, because you're not going to be able to pile it on. So unlike Starks, who have mobility, unlike Lannisters, who have control, free folk who just have a smorgasbord of options if they gang up on you, and Night's Watch who have their Val mechanics, the Baratheons have a lot of kind of counterattack and you hurt me, I'm going to hit you back style gameplay. And that's going to be represented via most of their tactics cards and unit abilities. So the first tactics card we have here is going to be Last Stand. That's when a friendly combat unit is destroyed. You know, may make one free melee attack using its highest attack die value before being removed. If you control the crown, the defender also becomes vulnerable. So noting, by the way, on the Baratheons that the crown and the tactic slots are going to be the primary two that they want to go after because that's going to trigger a lot of the secondary effects on their cards. But that is actually going to be modified by the commanders you choose, sort of. But you're going to have a heavy emphasis toward the crown. So just note that going in. Last Stand is one of my favorite tactics cards in the game. Because, you're, yes, you're going to lose a unit, but they're going to be able to throw down an attack at their highest potential there. And if you control the crown, they're going to be vulnerable. Okay, sure. Um, this is just going to get that one last hurrah out there. And it is the card that's going to help you trigger if you're in a losing situation. 
Now, would I ever recommend throwing a unit out there to sacrifice to just get this effect? Absolutely not. But it allows you a certain bit of recklessness where you can put a unit in a bad position and kind of bait out your opponent and know that, you know, okay, even if they come and, you know, they take out my unit, I'll at least get that last swing in. This card is really good if you're going to do like uh, a big alpha strike or a charge and just send a unit just barreling deep into the enemy ranks and, you know, hopefully get some damage in there, maybe sacrifice them to the cause and just see what happens. Next card we have up is Counter Charge. After a friendly combat unit is attacked, one other friendly unit may immediately make one free charge action targeting the attacker. If you control the tactics zone, that unit may also reroll any charge distance die. So this one's nice. It gets you extra attacks in for units being hurt. This one can really open up a lot of board positioning and kind of, uh, you know, this one's not going to be so straightforward. You're going to need to set it up a little bit uh, to get the most effect out of it. But if properly utilized, it's going to give you an extra, you know, move on a unit, which can help you contest objectives and help you get in combat, make some attacks, you know, all around. Just one of those good cards. Not the easiest one uh, in the world to play, though, because it does require specific positioning. So this one you're just going to have to play with, get kind of used to. This is going to kind of want to have your units in a one-two punch scenario. Um, one thing that I do see people making mistakes with this card is they will just sit there and hold it in their hands forever, waiting for that prime scenario to come up. This is one of those cards that if the situation arises that you can make use of it or you can set the play, great, go for it. But don't be afraid to pitch this one out if you know you need to get some extra card draw. Next one we have Stag's Wit. When a friendly engaged combat unit activates, remove all condition tokens from that unit. If you control the tactic zone, instead of removing these tokens, you may place them on one enemy combat unit they are engaged with. So Stannis is going to make much more use of this card than Rinley is, because Stannis really likes putting condition tokens down. This one is a situational card. It's going to be useful versus playing certain armies, like if you're playing a panic-heavy Bolton list, or a vulnerable heavy like Roderick List. You know, anything that likes throwing down tokens. Uh, this one's also especially useful against Free Folk. Um, more in the future when they get some other options that will become a little nasty when it comes to the token usage. But either way, this is a situationally useful card. Sometimes it's going to be useful um, against more armies than, you know, others. This one is here, you know, okay, yes, it removes all condition tokens. Don't necessarily wait for, you know, some situation where a unit has stacked up two or three. If they're vulnerable, if they're panicked, if, you know, they're weakened, go ahead and just get rid of the token, okay? This is not a card that you really want sitting in your hand too often, uh, waiting for the prime time to use it. Just use it when you can. Ours is the Fury. After a friendly combat unit is attacked, but not destroyed with melee. This is going to bring up the first thing. Um, here to talk about is that you're going to have several cards that trigger off of the same, well, sorry, that function off of the same trigger. And that trigger is usually going to be after a friendly combat unit is attacked. So while you do have a bunch of powerful effects, they're all going to share a trigger, so you're not going to be able to stack and combo those. You're going to have to pick which one's the best for the situation. In this case, you have Ours is the Fury versus an effect like Counter Charge, which again, you're going to have to pick which one's best for the situation. Anyway, ours is the Fury. That unit may make a free melee attack targeting the attacker. If you control Crown, it may also roll its highest attack value, or its highest attack die value. So as you can see here, a lot of these effects are stacking in to give you additional attacks or giving you benefits for being engaged. This is very much an attrition army, okay? You're going to have a lot of baseline defensive options from your troops, and most of your offense is going to come from your tactical usage of cards. Now that's going to change somewhat in the future as other options become available but the time being understand uh, even a general philosophy 
the Baratheon army is a defensive army by nature. You want to get there, you want to get stuck in combat, and you're going to outlast and grind down your opponent. Because all of your effects are going to give you that benefit. Now, this is going to change how you have to play against certain armies. Because, like, for example, if you're playing against Free Folk, their kind of goal is to grind you down via attrition of units. But also, the longer that combat goes, if you can't kill them fast enough, they're going to start ganging up on you. And that's going to trigger a lot of the, you know, just phenomenally powerful effects of their tactics cards. If you're playing against Night's Watch, they're going to have a small number of elite units that are going to become a pain. You're going to need to learn how to focus fire those guys down. Lannisters, it's a big... Um, diverse you know faction has different options it's going to really depend on the commander they're against but really there you're going to have to worry about their manipulation and control of your tactics cards because that's where a lot of your offensive punch is going to come from and that's the game that they get to shut down starks are going to have you just absolutely beat on mobility as they are a drastically faster faction than you are another thing about the baratheons is that you're while not slow you don't have any good movement tricks like most other factions do and you're not going to have any fast units. I'm not going to say the faction's slow as a theme, but you are lacking the speed of other factions. You're not going to see anything that's like speed six or anything like that. You're going to be strictly average to low. And in most other factions are going to have something that's going to give them some kind of speed buff. Uh, you're kind of stuck with what you got. You're just going to grind, sorry, you know, uh, stoutly walk up there in your heavy plate mail and just start grinding things down when you eventually get into combat. Anyway, sorry, let's get back to the tactics cards. Baratheon Conviction. Start of the round. Target one friendly infantry unit and attach this card to them. Discard it when they fail a morale test. While this card is attached, if you control the crown, this unit only ever suffers one wound from failed panic tests, regardless of abilities or roll. While you control tactics, this unit's defense save rolls of six block two hits. So I know right now everyone is kind of probably just mentally orgasming over the uh, the crown one. That one is a very potent effect. Um... I'm not going to say anything about that because just, you know, only losing a single wound from any type of panic test. You know, everyone knows what's like to be playing against Lannisters, rolling that two and hitting a zero and then losing upwards of six models. Even though that is a statistical outlier. But point being is that that's still a nice effect. To me, the controlling the tactics zone, blocking two hits on every, uh, sorry, two hits on every roll of six. That right there is going to, you know, just up the tankiness of a unit, you know, well past most thresholds. The other nice thing about this is that it's going to see you play it. It's going to stay on the unit. Um, you're going to at least get some benefit out of this. Now, it can be discarded if they fail a morale test. But you have decent morale across the board. And even then, it's a matter of just, okay, um, you're going to get attacked. Um, that's the first chance it's going to happen where you can potentially fail a morale test. is going to be coming that panic test. So you can at least get some of the benefits out of the card. You know, it's never going to feel like a wasted effort. This is also a card that has a very easy trigger. So if you draw it, you can just pitch it down and not have to worry about a lot of the timing conflicts there or it's sitting in your hand frame time. This is just one of those kind of freebies that you get that you can just, you know, I draw it, I play it, boom. It's not going to take up a slot in my hand. Next turn, more cards. Stag's Resilience. When a friendly engaged combat unit activates... Restore up to D3 plus 1 wounds to that unit. If you control the tactics zone, one enemy they're engaged with also suffers that many wounds. This is probably my favorite card in the generic deck. Actually, I'll say it's a tie between this and Last Stand. I'm a big fan of Last Stand ever since, you know, the initial starter box with Great John Umber. But Stag's Resilience is just one of those nice, just super, I'm going to swing the tides of this battle um, type of cards where, you know, you're creating a one-for-one -one trade-off with, uh, with a unit. Or you're just getting free healing out of it. 
which is also nice. Now, obviously, this is one of the ones that I absolutely want to optimize with the use of the tactic zone to get that bonus effect. Um, but if you need the clutch healing, then it can it, go ahead and use it. This is one of those cards, though, that I would almost suggest just kind of holding on to until, you know, the right time to play it comes up. Again, unless you need that just healing to, you know, restore rank or keep your unit from being destroyed, in which case don't just hold on to it, but you definitely want to try to get that secondary effect as often as you can. Last card we're going to have here is Hold the Line. When a friendly engaged combat unit activates, I almost feel like I'm repeating that sentence over and over again, but again, that's where some of the... Um, I'm going to not say the word balance, but definitely some of the balance comes from the Baratheon deck. You have a lot of seemingly strong effects, and they are very strong, but they're also kind of stumbling over each other. Again, you have other factions, Lannisters, Starks, um, Free Folk. You can chain some cool little combos of tactics cards together to create some really devastating effects. The Baratheons are kind of, I'm not going to say plain, I'll say plain, in that regard where they have a lot of just similar triggers um, and just very clean, efficient effects. I mean, you can kind of look at like, you know, the Stannis mentality there. Of, we do what we do, and that's what we do. So hold the line. When a friendly engaged combat unit activates, that unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit and roll two dice this turn. This is going to give you that extra little bit of offensive punch that you need. This is really great for any units that have abilities that are going to trigger, such as... Um, you know, the uh, Stag Knights, this can throw them upwards of hitting on a 2 plus of 9 attack dice, choosing their, you know, any of the effects that they can give off, which we'll talk about later. And then with some upcoming ones, basically, eh, that would be spoilers. The thing to talk about here is that, you know, this is a nice card for getting stuck in combats. You're really going to want to throw this down on your units that are going to have, like, Sundering or Vicious or any of this, you know, combat-capable effects, which a lot of guys in the core box, oh, um... The Baratheon Sentinels are a fantastic choice for this as well, because this is going to make them hit on 2-plus with their Sundering attacks, upwards of a, a 10 attack dice at full ranks, which they probably won't be, but still, it's a large number of attacks for them. So this is definitely one of the cards if you're just looking at the starter box to save for them. All right, let's talk about the Commander-specific tactics cards while we're on the same page. And I guess we'll start with everyone's favorite of Stannis Baratheon. Again, I don't know why people like him, but you guys do, so let's go ahead and just, you know, talk about him. All right, first card we have is Will of the One True King. When you claim the crown zone of the tactics board, replace that zone's effect if one enemy combat unit becomes panicked, one enemy combat unit becomes vulnerable, and one enemy combat unit becomes weakened. So this is going to give you a couple options here. One, you can just parse those tokens out however way you see fit. Or you can just, you know, absolutely cripple a unit by throwing all three of them on there. Basically getting yourself like a little mini Reigns of Castamere twice per game, except without the shutting off of the attachment and unit abilities. But still, stacking three tokens on a unit is pretty nasty. This can actually uh, help you out in some of the scenario play as well, as there are a couple of hidden, uh, sorry, secret missions that require you to get multiple tokens on there. That's going to be a very outlier case, but just kind of one of those cool little things you can do to trigger that. So, you know, if you're playing any of the uh, the game modes that use secret missions, this is one of the things to consider there. But this is kind of going to define Stannis' playstyle, that he is all about throwing down condition tokens and using some manipulation effects based on those. And that is actually going to be evident by the next card of his, which is Tactical Approach, start of the round. Another nice, easy trigger here, by the way. It's one of the reasons I like this one. Attach this card to a friendly combat unit until the end of the game. 
While attached, whenever this unit makes an attack after defense dice are rolled, it may expend one condition token from the defender to deal an additional D3 wounds. If this is Stannis Baratheon's unit, it deals three wounds instead of rolling. Uh, that's another minor topic, by the way, to talk about when it comes to the Baratheon commanders, uh, Stannis and Rinley, is that they are the center of the battlefield. One, because he's a tactical mastermind. The other one, because he's just a prima donna playboy, look at me. Um, but a lot of the focus for how those factions function, sorry, for how the faction functions right now is basically going to be your kind of centerpieces in those two commanders. Now, as they get more commander options, that necessarily is not true. But the focus of the battlefield is usually going to be those two guys. So with tactical approach here, that's going to show you how much Stannis really likes to just mess with condition tokens by the fact he can directly turn them into an additional D3 wounds, his unit just dealing straight up three extra wounds. Now, this is useful um, if you use it tactically. Yeah, I get that. If you approach the situation tactically, tactical approach will do you pretty good. Because sometimes, you know, okay, like if you're facing its berserkers, you're not going to really need a panic token on them. I'd much rather deal D3 wounds or three wounds, you know, however that plays out, because they're not going to fail their panic. If I'm up against thing, if I have a vulnerable token on things, I'm usually going to be inclined to spend the vulnerable token, with the exception if this is Stannis' unit, because the three straight wounds is usually going to be better than expending the vulnerable token. Again, it depends on what it is. If they've got like a six plus save, then whatever. And weakened is usually the prime candidate here that I will use if I'm going on the offense. A weakened token is exceptionally useful for Stannis um, and the Baratheons in general because, again, you're going to get stuck in those prolonged combats. You want to outlast your opponent. So making them weakened is just going to be one of those better things to use, Yvonne. Tactical Approach is a fantastic card, by the way, getting into talking some of the units uh, to throw in the Baratheon Wardens because they can just dish out weakened nonstop if they get into a good groove. So uh, a unit of Stannis Wardens is super nice to have and it is just a nasty bunker unit to just stick in the center of your army but we'll get back to that talking more about the units last of stannis's cards is oath of duty when a friendly combat unit is destroyed attach this card to a friendly combat unit until the end of the game while attached this unit never suffers penalties to morale and may never become panicked if this is stannis baratheon's unit their attacks also roll plus two attack dice so this one here can be situational because you're going to have a unit destroyed, which first off, you really don't want to have happen. I mean, it's going to happen, but you don't want it to. Secondly, um, yes, never suffering penalties to morale and never becoming panicked is nice in the right situations. So if you're facing against like a vicious army or a Lannister army or something like that, this card is going to be absolute gold. If you're facing something like, oh, Night's Watch, who don't really manipulate morale in the slightest, then you don't really care. I mean, the situations where this is going to be useful versus not are definitely higher as most armies are going to have some effect that is going to, you know, give them some type of morale manipulation. And there's also some scenarios out there that can do the same thing. But point being is this one's kind of a freebie. If you don't have, you know, like a last stand in your hand, then this one's going to throw down. Now, really, I view the secondary benefit of this almost higher than the primary one. Because this allows you to throw down on Stannis' unit and give them plus two extra attack dies. Now, that to me is a really nice effect because it allows you to stick Stannis. If you stick him in a defensive bunker, it gives him some offensive punch. If you put him into an offensive bunker like some Stagnites or Sentinels, then you can throw down a truly obscene amount of dice 
and get the extra benefits that they have, whether it be Sundering or Vicious or Critical Blow or anything like that. This combined with, you know, Will the One True King and Tactical Approach, you can have just a murder unit uh, with Stannis in it that your opponent has to deal with. You know, basically when Stannis gets rolling, he can be a real game changer on the battlefield. It's just a shame in the books he never really got rolling because he just loses every fight he's in. Sorry, fanboys. Um, but that's just how it is there. Okay, so let's move on to the other younger, often more forgotten brother of the Baratheon family, Rinley Baratheon. And his tactics cards are Wealth and Charisma. When you claim a zone on the tactics board, you may replace that zone's effect with choose one. Restore D3 plus one wounds total across any number of friendly combat units, or remove three condition tokens total from any number of friendly combat units. So Rinley is going to have a focus on healing, and that's kind of going to be a lot of the High Garden slash Tyrell allied effects that he has, is they're going to heal themselves up, and a lot of their stuff is going to trigger based on the fact that they healed. So it's going to create this one-two punch um, of, oh, I have restored myself and I've caused you damage or some other effects in the process. This is, a lot of Rinley's playstyle is going to kind of um, go back to talking about that Stag's Wit generic tactics card that I was talking about, you know, you're gonna, sorry, Stag's Resilience, we're going to heal yourself up, deal those extra wounds. That's kind of what Rinley does taken to the next level. So that's kind of the playstyle you have there. Replacing the zone's effect with um, getting the D3 plus one wounds, this is basically going to give you your wealth zone effect anywhere across the, uh, you know, the tactics board that you want. It's going to be fantastic for, say, securing the tactics zone, getting special heals in, or just blocking your opponent from something that they want. I will say that the secondary effect, removing three condition tokens, that is going to be situationally useful. Most of the time, you're going to be using that first effect. There are going to be times when you're going to want to pull those condition tokens off, and it's going to be nice to be able to do that, just basically clear them off of your army. But that's going to be against very specific lists. I mean, the ones that come to mind immediately are like a Bolton Panic list. When you are able to use the second half of this ability, you're going to really appreciate having it. But most of the time, you're going to default to that first one. So, just calling it as it is. Next card. Younger, bolder, and far more comely. When a friendly combat unit makes a morale test, that unit gains plus two to their morale test roll. If they're within long range of friendly Baratheon's unit and pass this test, they may also restore up to one wound for each point they pass by to a maximum of four. Long sentence. Okay. Long sentence. Easy effect. Make a morale test. Get a bonus. Heal based on how much you passed it by. Okay. Again, we're going to have more healing. This combined with the fact that the Baratheons do have a decent morale, it's not going to be anything super special, but it's not terrible. This is going to be useful. So this is going to give you a bonus and just kind of help you against those armies that vicious, that are throwing out panic tokens, Lannisters, things like that. And you're going to get a little bit of healing on top of that. This is another one of those cards that isn't going to be useful. Yes, don't sit there and just, you know, go like, Oh, this is going to be a game changer. This one here, though, can restore a full rank from healing, and that's really the way you should view it. Don't play this card so much when you're like, oh my god, I really need a morale boost. I actually play this card more often when I look at the unit and go, man, I need to restore up to a rank to get a good counterattack in. So, you know, don't hold this card off waiting for like, oh man, that unit's got vicious, I need to save this card for, you know, to counter that out. That's a fine strategy, but I would honestly, most of the time, rather not be suffering any penalties and just get a straight bonus to my morale, which in turn links to doing healing. Now, the last card we have is Rinley's kind of a power bomb card. They will make me king. 
when Renly Baratheon when Renly Baratheon's unit activates. Choose one. Restore up to two wounds to Renly's unit and up to one wound uh, to all other friendly units within long range. Or deal two wounds to all enemies engaged in Renly's unit and one wound to all other enemies within long range. Basically, you got your little Renly bubble. You can either heal yourself for two and heal everyone else for one, or damage everything you're engaged with for two and damage everyone else for one. Your choice. This card is super versatile. I love it. This card can absolutely just wreck some solo options. If people, like, this is going to keep people from running things like Dire Wolves or potentially Giants directly into Rinley's unit, which is not a good strategy. Now, I do hear a lot of people that were like, oh my god, this is just going to screw over Dire Wolves. Well, not really. I mean, you're dealing them one wound. The thing about Dire Wolves, they get attacked, they're probably going to die anyway, so... Not really saving anything there. I mean, yes, you could theoretically have two of these cards and then play them back to back in separate rounds because they are, you know, it only triggers when Renly units, uh, Renly's unit activates, not when they perform any action. But uh, honestly, that's such a rare scenario that's going to happen and to gain what effect? Okay, they killed a wolf. Hooray. Whatever. Um, but causing little chip damage, you know, is nasty. Is it going to matter so much when you know they have four models for each rank? No. Yes, it's going to create that some situations where you're like, man, I just need to get rid of that last little bit to reduce that um, unit's capabilities. But honestly, most of the time, this is just going to help you, you know, kind of chip away at units that are already engaged. I really, you know, people are going to put a big emphasis on this card. I can already tell just by reading it and going like, oh my god, that's insane. I'm just going to kill so many things of it. Uh, yeah, but killing one model in a unit usually doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, you got to kill whole families. That's that's how you got to clear stuff out. So that's going to kind of go over the general and uh, specific tactics cards available to the Baratheons and their commanders right now. So next thing let's look at uh, is going to be their NCU options. Um, they only have two, but then we have the neutrals to look at as well. So the two neutral options we have right now are Shira Errol, the Lady of Haystack Hall. Everyone's favorite character from the books. And again, please, please write me if you've been waiting uh, 11 years at this point, I think, uh, for this character to appear and get her just desserts. Um, since fun backstory about her, we do like targeting some of the obscure characters since, you know... Um, her design option was picked because we wanted guys who didn't have loyalty um, and most characters in the Baratheon faction, according to the books, distinctly sided with Rinley or Stannis. Very few spent any time jumping between the two. I mean, there are some that did more than others, but you know, we definitely wanted to jump into some of the uh, <laughs> um, more esoteric ones here. And the things of Shira is that she is mentioned in the lands meet. Sorry, she is mentioned in the lands meet as being the lady of Haystack Hall when they're talking about oh who should be king, Rinley or Stannis. Later on, after uh, spoilers for decade old book, um, when Rinley is killed and Stan and everyone's rallying to Stannis' side, she is just completely replaced by another character, and it is never referenced again in the slightest what happened to her if she died or what actually occurred, it almost feels like, oh yeah, we forgot that she was in charge of Haystack Hall because now it's this other guy who is also another uh, minor character. But 
point being is that I, we felt so bad for her, just like we wanted to give her some some do here because it seems that everyone in the world forgot that she existed. Uh, but she's a fantastic NCU coming at three points. Whenever she claims the tactics zone of the tactics board, you may remove one condition token from one friendly combat unit. And when she claims the wealth zone of the tactics board, you may place a condition token on one enemy combat unit. So basically she reverses the effects of those zones and gives you that extra variety on you know, how you want to approach situations. Uh, she is a fantastic option for Stannis because he absolutely loves throwing down condition tokens. Rinley can make use of her, but not so much. She doesn't synergize terribly with anything that he does. You know, So there might be other options for you on the Rinley side of things. Um, but definitely if you're a Stannis player, then she is a fantastic option for you. Next one we have is Alistair Florence, the Lord of Brightwater. Uh, he has the ability Shifting Loyalties. He begins the game with two order tokens on him. After he claims a zone, and after you resolve that zone's effects, you may remove an order token, and then you move him to an empty zone or switch his position with an NCU already on the tactics board. Now, something I want to clarify real quick here, because you people aren't reading right, okay? At least some of you aren't, okay? When you're switching a position on the tactics board, that is not claiming a zone. So no, you do not get double the effects. No, he is not by far like the most powerful NCU in the entire game, bar none. Now, granted, I think it's probably less than like 10% who are like trying to read it like that. And the second you think about it, like, yeah, that'd be busted. Then you should come to that conclusion. But I just want to, I just want to say that because like, seriously, guys. Anyway, still a very powerful effect, but also a very subtle effect that, you know, you really need to play around with. This guy is basically kind of like a mini version of uh, Littlefinger, sort of. You're not going to be able to get the effect of the zone you want with as easy with his easy setup. But really what this guy can do here is he can definitely just go and kind of Stannis block a zone of the tactics board by switching out. So Lannisters want to control the crown. You drop this guy on the board, you snatch that crown away from them. Um, you're playing against free folk who definitely want the you know maneuver zone. You're just going to drop this guy down, switch that zone out, shut off all of their tactics effects. Night's Watch, unless they're running Jor, you can definitely shut down, you know, any of the Vow effects that they have. This guy can cause a lot of disruption that's not really evident by just looking at what he does on paper here. But once you actually see him in use, even, well, even then, you're going to have to know how to use him correctly. But if you do, this guy can just be so disruptive to enemy plans. Um... And if you enjoy that playstyle, he's definitely a fantastic option. Now, I was going to talk about some neutral options when it comes to uh, fitting into the Baratheons, since right now you have access to the starter box, and you're probably going to need to flush that out with either a second starter box or some uh, neutral heroes options just to get yourself up to some points levels. So I'm going to very, very quickly talk about those. So Littlefinger, he's okay. I mean... Uh, the thing is that the two zones that are available to, that the Baratheons really want, are going to be the Crown and the Tactic Zone. <coughs> Sorry. Both of those are fairly useful on their own for the army. I can see some arguments that a lot of people might not want to take the Crown and start zapping people with that. Um, and in that case, you can run Littlefinger to give you some extra manipulation. You can run uh, Alistair, or Alistair, Alistair Florent and Peter as well in this like tag team combo just to really make it so your opponent never gets any tactic zone that they want. That's fine. Uh, Varus is Varus. He acts independently of pretty much anything else that um, is going to be in your army. 
uh, if you're if you want to throw in some control, take Varus. If you don't, then there are other options. I mean, I think that trying to play control with the Baratheons, it's not really going to help you that good. Um, so, I mean, if you want to try it, that's fine. But I really think there are just better options available than throwing Varus into the Baratheon list. Uh, Roos Bolton, the commander version. Uh, hmm. I'm going to go with a kind of... It's okay. It's going to give you that kind of Boltony playstyle with the Baratheons, but I feel unless that's just something specifically that you're trying to do, then there are better options. Namely, just because unlike a lot of the other factions that can at least work with Vicious and Panic Tokens and Control in some way, the Baratheons are kind of just... I'm not going to... Yeah, I guess I call them a bunch of meatheads. They just want to slam forward and kill stuff, and they don't have a huge amount of control outside of their commanders, which you are switching out for Roos. So, I mean, it's a it's a playstyle, but there are just other options I'd rather take for Baratheons, and there's other armies I'd rather take for Roos. So that's how I feel there. That's how that is. All right, let's talk about units for the Baratheons. So right now you have three available and two attachments, not counting your commanders, um, plus your neutral options as well, which we'll talk about you know slightly at the very end. The first one you're going to have are going to be your Baratheon Wardens. This is going to be your baseline troop coming in at five points, and they are the, basically the embodiment of the faction. Their movement speed four, not the best. Their defense three, which is fantastic for a five-point option, and morale of a six plus, which is Slightly above the curve for most things. These guys are definitely tanky. Offensive stats, though, nothing to write home about. They're hitting on a 4-plus with 7, 5, and 3 dice coming in. That's slightly better than Lannister Guards. Now, what they do have here, though, is their Warhammer special ability, which is that the defender rolls a 1 on any defense saves. They become weakened. So you're going to go on the offense for a little bit to get some better defense. Fantastic. They also, though, have target opening. When this... Uh, unit attacks, they may expend weakened tokens from the defender as if they were vulnerable tokens. This is where your offensive potential for the unit is going to come from. But again, you kind of have this little self-replicating uh, engine that has to start by making them weakened, potentially expending it to make them vulnerable, or keeping it as being weakened so you know they can't hurt you and you can kind of attrition and grind them down. Your tactics cards are really going to define how this unit operates round to round. And that's kind of a, uh, a mixed blessing is that, one, the unit on its own is just, it's a giant rock. It's not going to go anywhere um, until it gets shattered. But it doesn't have a lot of killing power unless you have the, you know, the proper tools to give it, which are going to come in the form of a select number of attachments or, you know, your tactics cards. And that's really the big focus here is that so much of your offense is going to come from your tactics cards. You really got to play that game. Because as I'm going to keep harping on, Stannis, you know, he was a good tactical leader. He had a lot of unfortunate stuff that happened to him. He led a lot of backstabbing and just things that didn't work out in his favor. But you really can't fault him for his tactics. And that's the strong suit of the faction in general. Now, as far as attachments for these guys go, you can stick a Baratheon, uh, sorry, a Master Warden in with them, who is going to take away your opponent's charge, flank, rear bonuses. That is a nice effect if you really want to just hammer home a defensive bunker for these guys. Um, the thing to note is that you're paying a point 
and that is going to be a situationally useful ability. When it is useful, it is going to be really useful. But there's going to be times where it's going to contribute absolutely nothing. Because frankly, you want to be charging more than you are getting charged. This does allow you to play a little reckless with them, though, and march them up into positions that would usually not be advantageous. And with their speed, you're going to kind of need to do that sometimes. And you can put them in a little bit of those high-risk situations. So this is going to help them with their survivability. But once you're kind of grinded, uh, sorry, uh, locked down in combat and you're getting that grind on, this guy's going to become less useful unless the opponent decides to dedicate resources to coming in and attacking you in the flank or so. And frankly, if they see that you have a Master Warden in there, that's going to be kind of a wasted effort on their part anyway. So again, I view that as a situationally useful attachment. Um... And to get the most use out of him, you kind of have to be assuming your opponent's going to make some bad decisions. Uh, the other option to stick in there is going to be a Stag Knight Noble. And this guy is after you're attacked, you can suffer two wounds to basically make a counterattack. And that's going to be clocking in at two points. Uh, this guy is fine. Um, I honestly, with the Baratheon Wardens, I prefer just keeping them cheap. Okay, stick a one-point attachment in there with them if you want. But... I really don't like sticking just a lot of other things in there with them because to me, these guys serve a very distinct role. They're objective grabbers and they're to lock down enemy units. And the more points I'm investing into a unit that's going to do either of those things, I feel that could really be put elsewhere in the army. These guys are perfectly fine um, on their own when it comes to holding an objective to being defensive. So I don't really just feel the need to make them a seven point unit or higher in some cases um, for that role. Again, I can justify putting a Master Warden in there, making them six points. That's fine. Other options to talk about real quick. Uh, Dreadfort Captain is not something you're going to stick in them, period. Looking at some other uh, neutral heroes, Ramsey is not one you're going to stick in there as well. Um, yeah, so Brienne, Brom. Uh, well, actually, they're not really released yet, so we're not going to talk about them just yet. Although, I, I could actually justify both of those options in here. But, but again, not talking about those today. Next unit we have for the Baratheons are going to be the uh, Baratheon Sentinels. Oh, I'm sorry. Before we actually jump into talking about the Baratheon Sentinels, let's talk about the Wardens as a commander bunker for either Rinley... Um, or Stannis. Now, so Stannis brings critical blow and the inability to get condition tokens to a unit that he is in. That is actually something that is really nice for a free attachment just to stick in with these guys here. So giving them critical blow is going to give them a nice offensive potential and then giving them unyielding so they never gain any condition tokens. That's going to make them just super, super tanky. Now, the thing about that is that even with Critical Blow, that's going to raise their offensive potential to decent levels, but it's not going to be anything amazing. So, that's, you know, it's I definitely one of my units that I would stick Stannis in. Actually, I don't really feel there's a bad unit for Stannis most of the time. Uh, so, something to consider. Now, when it comes to Rinley, 
uh, he's going to bring boldness and courage to the mix where you're always going to be treated as having one additional rank. If you're max ranks, then you're going to roll plus two dice. And he's going to give you the embolden ability, which is while within short range of the units, other friendly units gain plus one to morale test rolls. This is a decent bunker for him as well, because if friendly you want to keep them alive, there's a strong chance that his unit is going to be constantly at full ranks just because of his tactics cards, which is going to bring these guys up to a respectable nine dice with the potential to throw down vulnerable. Again, it's not the biggest offensive potential that you're going to have, but it keeps them cheap and it keeps him well guarded with that three plus save. So, you know, it's not a bad option there as well. Um, I think there are better options for both of them. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. So, talking now, moving on to the Brathian Sentinels. Finally, this is going to kind of be one of your raw offensive units for the army, clocking in at six points, and having a movement speed of five, defense save of four plus, and a morale of seven plus. So, strictly just average stats across the board when it comes to those three three scores. And when it comes to their offensive, they've got a three plus. They've got double hammers, eight six. Uh, sorry, eight six four attack profile with sundering. Nothing flashy about these guys. You're just getting a mid-range unit that hits fairly well and gets sundering. Again, this is kind of a theme when you look at the Baratheon units. You're not going to see anything overtly flashy here. You're going to get a lot of benefit from attachments, but specifically your tactics cards. So your tactics cards that you throw in with these guys, giving them extra attacks after they suffer damage. Um, because they don't really have a huge drop-off. I mean, they're still throwing six dice on threes at mid-rank. And even at their lowest, they're still throwing four attack dice hitting on threes with Sundering. But these guys here make a good uh, a good bunker for Stannis if you really want an offensive punchy unit because Critical Blow and Sundering is nasty. With Rinley, um, they're going to be throwing you know uh, a 10-8-6 profile until they're destroyed. And Rinley has the healing to definitely keep these guys in the fight. Um, Embolden is going to help everyone else around, so they're still going to have that weakness a little bit to... Um, you know, morale test, but hey, guess what? Rinley has a specific card that helps that. So these guys here are a good bunker. I would actually consider a better bunker for Rinley than I would Stannis. Stannis, I feel, kind of definitely goes in better options. Uh, the Wardens and the Stag Knights, which we'll talk about in a second. But for Rinley, I like sticking him in a unit of Sentinels because, again, while they don't have the best defensive stats... That's even more so reason for me to stick Rinley in there because he has all these self-healing effects that are just going to keep that unit topped off and keep them going. So that's my suggestion there. The final combat unit available in the starter box are going to be these Stag Knights. Um, and those guys are definitely not an easy unit to play, sort of. <laughs> if you look at their stats, so they have a movement speed of 5, they've got a defense save of 4, and a morale of 5+. plus. So average stats across the board, except when we hit that morale, which is going to skyrocket up to a 5+, plus, which is definitely pushing on the top tier areas there. There's only a few units that have any better morale than they do, and they're sitting there at a 5+, plus, which means they're probably not going to fail tests. Unless something nasty happens, you stick a, you know something that's emboldened near them and they're passing on a 4. But... The thing about these guys is that they have Unwavering Fury, which is they hit on 3+, and their attack profile is 7, 7, 7. It is never going to drop in dice. And I don't think people are going to value that enough until they see it on the battlefield. These guys right here, almost regardless of what commander you're running, make a just fantastic bunker for that commander. And in this case, I'm not even limiting it to just Stannis and Rinley. 
Um, if you're running a neutral commander, which actually talking about battlefield ones that are available right now, the ones that would be I would be talking about is going to be Ramsey, uh, which is a fantastic place to stick these guys as well, turning them into House Bolton. But uh, okay, this is not about Boltons. I can turn most any type of talk into that. But these guys here are a commander bunker to me. Uh, that's going to be one of their primary roles, and I love them for that role. Now, you could definitely have a unit of these guys on their own. You could definitely have them with some other attachments with them as well, and they get just really nasty. But my primary, like, favorite thing to do with these guys is this is where my commander goes. Most of the time when I'm playing Baratheons, this is going to be the unit that I'm sticking my commander in when it comes to Rinley and Stannis, okay? Stannis can sometimes get a pass into Wardens. Rinley can get a pass into Sentinels. Both of them, though, are great in Stagnites. Um, so aside from the attack profile, these guys also have Unwavering Fury. When this unit attacks, for each of its destroyed ranks, select one of the following bonuses. Critical Blow, Sundering, or Vicious. Meaning that if these guys are on the last rank, they're going to be throwing seven dice, hitting on a three plus, and they get you know two of those three abilities there. You know, depending on the situation you have. I mean, a lot of the times I like to pick Critical Blow and Sundering, but this is also a nice thing. If you're running Stannis in there with them, they're going to have Critical Blow just all the time. So that means you're going to be able to get Critical Blow, Sundering, and Vicious. Rinley, meanwhile, is going to... Well, okay. Here's the thing here. Uh, and this is actually getting onto a technical thing that I think some people will mix up. Hopefully this won't be needed to be FAQ'd because, frankly, the wording is clear, but... I think people will skim over it. So Rinley has boldness and courage. He says that you are always, you are always counted as having one additional rank when you are attacking, and if you have max ranks, you get plus two dice. Okay. So interactions that you have here, zero. If they're at max ranks, then they're rolling nine dice. Otherwise, they're just gonna be rolling seven. Now the weird interaction that I see people playing wrong is when they don't read Unwavering Fury correctly. Unwavering Fury states that when the unit attacks, for each of its destroyed ranks, you get a bonus. Okay? And, and you can, I, some of you can probably see where this is going. Um, Boldness and Courage says that you are treated as counting, uh, you are treated as having an additional rank um, when you're checking for your attack dice. That seems like, I, people can read that as seeming like those are the same thing, but it's not. Boldness and Courage says your treat is having additional rank for your attack dice. Unwavering Fury doesn't actually care about how many remaining ranks you have left. It cares about how many of your ranks have been destroyed. So that's its check there. If you have one destroyed rank, but your treat is having additional, you still have a destroyed rank. You just treat it as having one more past that. So hopefully that rambling there didn't confuse more people than it helped. But point being is that no... Boldness and Courage does not cancel out Unwavering Fury, which I've seen some people think it does. Okay, that out of the way. Um, I like sticking Stannis in with these guys. Rinley, um, you're wasting a little bit of his effect because they never depreciate in dice, but he is going... This The point being is that this creates a unit that is a constant problem for your opponent, especially given those two commanders who want to be in the center of the battlefield, who want to you know, be leading the effects of their armies, especially more when we have additional uh, scenarios that are coming out, they're going to put more of a reliance on battlefield commanders. This is going to be just a nasty unit that your opponent's going to have to deal with. And the problem is there's no good answer to dealing with these guys because they never get any worse. They just get better you know, as you kill them. So you're going to have to deal with them 
but that's what they want you to deal to to do. They're just going to get better for it. Um, if you play Stannis, you can stick a bunch of his specific you know cards on these guys here. Like, okay, so he's going to be perpetually rolling plus two additional dice. That means until these guys are destroyed, they're rolling nine dice and have critical blow and hit on threes. Damn, that's good. Like, that's really, really good. That's um, many berserkers with a permanent Catelyn buff. Uh, and in fact, in some cases, better than Berserkers, because they have an 8 critical blow, and they can get Sundering if you have even one destroyed rank. So, imagine you have a bunch of Berserkers sitting there going, oh, okay, we are throwing 9 dice on 3+, plus of critical blow, Sundering, and Vicious. GG. So, yes, this is by far my favorite unit to stick Stannis in. Renly? Um, not to the degree that I like Stannis. But again, I really got to hammer home the fact these guys are a good command bunker. Would I spam them? No. I, I think that one unit, maybe two units of these guys is plenty. Um, I do like running at least one in my list, though. Now, past that, let's say you don't want to stick your commander in with these guys. You want to stick him in a cheaper unit or whatever. Um, a Stagnite Noble is fantastic these guys as well because you get to make just a ton of attacks. And they don't really care about losing the two wounds. Yes, it's going to make you a big, expensive 10-point unit, but the point of these guys is that they are, again, creating a situation that your opponent has to deal with in some capacity, and there's no good answer here because they have defensive stats where you're not going to be able to just wipe them out in one go. I mean, without an extreme amount of resources being used. And these guys are like the ultimate attrition unit because they just kind of have everything built in here. They're never going to lose attack dice. They're going to just gain cool abilities and then again, combine that with the Baratheon Tactics cards. I mean, you throw a hold the line on these guys when they have, you know, even just one destroyed rank. You're throwing out there a 2-plus to hit, 9 dice, and you're going to pick Sundering in that case. Actually, you could pick Critical Blow and just, you know, maybe charge... Oh, you wouldn't charge in, but no. Definitely picking Sundering in that case. Uh, that's going to devastate a bunch of units, okay? This is definitely one of those units that I feel are going to be underrated until people just see how much of a royal pain in the ass they are to deal with on the battlefield. So those are the three units that have been released for the Baratheons so far. You do have some neutral options to talk about as well. Um, and let's very quickly go over those. So uh, Cutthroats, they're going to be a cheap option. They're going to be a nice throwaway thing. You can uh, They have offensive potential. They don't have a lot of staying power, however, and that's going to kind of be a little bit of a problem when it comes to utilizing them in the Baratheon army, just because, you know, they don't stick around, and that's really the attrition game that you want. You have a bunch of nasty effects when they're locked in combat that you trigger off of, but frankly, I just don't think that they're going to be that great. Uh, House Bolton Blackguard. This is a defensive unit that makes use of uh, panic tokens. So there's actually a very... Uh, I know I said this earlier that... Roos was not the best option to throw down into um, this list, and I wasn't going to talk too much about Boltons here, but I do, I just have to mention this as well, okay? Um, the Bolton Blackguards and Roos do allow you to run a very specific style of Bolton control, namely because the Blackguards innately don't have a huge amount of offensive potential outside of their horrific passage ability, which causes panic tests, which Roos synergizes with innately. Okay, and actually Ramsey does as well if you want to run a battlefield commander. But the thing is, is that they don't otherwise have a lot of offensive punch. They're a defensive unit by nature. Well, 
guess what? You have a tactics deck here that actually helps you mitigate those weaknesses by just helping you stay in that attrition fight and just keep going once you're in combat. And that's actually exactly where the Blackguard want to be because the more times they're attacked, it means that your opponent's going to be triggering that horrific visage, losing models due to panic test. Then you're going to trigger all of the defensive, uh, defense slash offensive oriented Baratheon tactics cards, punishing your opponents for attacking you even further. Then when all of that is said and done, you know, you're going to actually have your attacks that go in or your sustain effects that come in, which are going to reward you for being further engaged. I actually really like Blackguard. Um, that specific style of army, including Blackguard, if you're going to run Baratheons. Okay. Uh, Bastards Girls. So, not in Baratheon army. Sorry, guys. Uh, they're just not going to be bringing enough to the table with specific synergies to what is available right now. There's going to be some options coming out later, which we'll reevaluate and talk about these guys when it comes to the Baratheons. But right now, uh, they don't fit in well with the army. Flademen. Okay, uh, this is going to be a tricky thing because they come in at 10 points. Their cavalry, which is going to mitigate a lot of the weaknesses and speed issues that the Baratheons have, they're going to be a unit that can really bunker up in there, get stuck in combat. Uh, I actually really like these guys in a Baratheon army over most any other army that you could take them in right now. The thing is, is that you are paying 10 points for them. That is a big investment. But frankly, if there's any army that can make use of the Flademen, it's going to be, I think, actually, I'm, I'll go ahead and say it. I will say the Baratheons will make better use of Flademen than most any other army currently available. Um, so that's my thoughts there. If you want to run uh, some you know, heavy armored cavalry there and make up some of the Baratheon weaknesses, I can definitely see you just throwing in a unit of Flademen, even though they are 10 points, and I'm usually kind of adverse to running 10 points. But here, you have enough tactics cards to really up their offensive potential to help them wipe stuff out. And they're defensive enough where they're going to make a lot of use of the Baratheon tactics and kind of grindy playstyle. So I really feel that of any of the armies that have been released so far, the Flademen really have a home here when it comes to, you know, uh, Stannis and Renly and his boys. So, you know, that's actually the best I can say there is you can, there's an endorsement for, you know, your 10-point unit. Um... That's probably going to finish up what we're talking about here. We've covered the NCUs, we've covered the tactics, and we've talked about their units. We could talk about some general playstyle stuff, but honestly, I feel I covered enough of that as I was just going through and talking about each of the specifics here. Plus, this is really, really going on nearly an hour here. So let's go ahead and end that here. We'll come back next time. Well, not maybe next time, but definitely in the uh, preceding podcast and episodes, talking about some specific lists and, you know, have a better focus on that. But in the meantime, that was going to be my general look and review of the Baratheons, the starter box specific content. These guys will be coming out in October, but we have updated the War Council app so you can see all of them. You can proxy them out. And if you're one of the Gen Con attendees, then you can actually have these guys early. But so that's what we have talking about these guys. Join me next time. And until then. See you.